Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now, can you see where the salvation is now broadening besides just a small little group of people? That God in His infinite wisdom so loved the world that He gave His Son. That whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Go back to the passage again. Verse 10 says, Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Can he also get saved then? Sure. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, meaning the Jew, particularly Abraham, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. So remember the dates I gave you? So Abraham received the sign of circumcision. He was circumcised as an adult man. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was still uncircumcised. In other words, he had faith in Christ, in the coming Christ, the Messiah, the Lord Jehovah, so to speak. I'm I'm extending it further out. We talked about that last week. While he was still uncircumcised. So that he might be the father of all who do what? Not just of the Jews, all who believe without being circumcised, so that would be the uncircumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them who are not Jewish, who them are outside the Jewish tradition here. So it would be the Gentile people. So he was saved so that people would know that whether you're Jewish or non-Jewish, you still can have eternal life. It doesn't really matter. Go back now if you see the word sign there. Circumcision is a sign and it's a seal. So let's come up for air a little bit. All right. I like signs. Um, I have a GPS. It's in my phone and all that. And I like that the lady call, talks to me. And Carol and I, we've affectionately called our GPS. I don't have one of those fancy schmancies in our car. I have it on my phone. But no matter whether I have my phone or my iPad with that thing, whatever, wherever I go when I'm on the mainland and I use it, the voice all sounds the same. It's more fun listening to them try to identify streets in Hawaii than it is on the mainland. Have you ever got that before? It's the weirdest thing. You, always say, you know, we live in Kuliho'o. You ought to hear how they say that. But anyway, back to this. <clears throat> We call her Angel because Angel speaks to me like an angel to tell me where to go. She's like a sign. So when you see a sign that says Waikiki, I have a little hope. Hey, that's going to go to Waikiki. The sign is not Waikiki. Circumcision is not salvation. All right? It's a sign. It points me to something. We'll talk about that in a moment. When I go to the beautiful Oahu famous North Shore, there's a sign that says North Shore. tells me how to get off the freeway, get on another one, head up to the North Shore. I like those signs. They point to something. So when a man was circumcised, it was pointing to Jehovah God who was establishing a covenant relationship with a minimum of six significant promises, three of them dealing with a people group and land and a promise of eternal life coming in a Savior. Now that being the case, I wanted you to see now that that's a sign that pointed it. So when they were circumcised as a boy, they weren't saved right then, but it's to point them in the direction of this Yahweh that was going to be, here's a simple word for everyone, the deliverer, all right? Now it goes back to the word seal then, a sign and a seal. Well, a seal and a sign are pretty much the same, but just a little bit different. When something is sealed, that means it's authenticated. Carol and I has traveled with, uh, for, on mission trips from this church to Indonesia, to Myanmar, to Singapore, to China, and places in between. All right, now we have a 
passport. On that passport, that passport means nothing unless it has the official properly attached seal of the United States. That is a promise, that is a contract, that is a covenant that I am a U.S. citizen based on that passport. And even that illustration can break down where Scripture can't break down. So now what happens, watch this now, this gets really technical, but this is going to tell you again about salvation. When that sign and seal of circumcision was done, Remember I mentioned to you a moment ago that it was a covenant from God to them? It was a promise that God said, I told Abraham you're going to get these promises. And you're a part of that promise covenant. So this now circumcision is what I told you to do to you as a seal to let you know that I'm going to keep my word. Now in all of that is the concept of faith alone in Jehovah. That is my promise that your salvation is going to come in no other way than the person and work of the Messiah. Now, I know I'm kind of adding some color to this uh, connect the dots for you so you understand, but that's where it all comes into. So it's a sign and it's a circumstance. It is not salvation. It's a sign to point to it. It's a seal that God says, I'm going to keep my word so you know you can look at this and say, I don't change it. Let me make it even more simple for, for some of us. When we see a beautiful Hawaiian rainbow, besides wanting to take pictures of it, and some of you looking for the pot of gold at the end of it, what does that uh, rainbow tell you of, biblically? What does that tell you? What is that rainbow of? It's a promise. It's indicative from God as a promise that he will not do what? Okay, we can't say he won't bring a flood because he will. There's floods all the time. There are people that will die this year. Hundreds of people will die in floods. But the promise is that he will not wipe out humanity by the flood that he did. Did you catch what I'm trying to say? All right. Now, that's just indicative of the promise. Now, does the rainbow keep the flood back? Yes or no? No. In fact, if anything, the rainbow is indicative of more moisture in the air that's falling, right? Okay. So the promise is more of God. If you're catching that, that's what you're going to see circumcision is. It's all wrapped up in a sign and a seal. So it becomes important, but in itself is not salvific. It will not save you. I have two illustrations for you to write down. One would be your wedding ring and the other would be baptism. All right, I'm wearing a, a nice wedding ring. Um, the first wedding ring that I had, uh, Carol Gate, that sounds like I've been married many times, so my wife's chuckling here. Married once, praise God. All right, now that being the case, I had three diamonds that came out of my mama's wedding ring and she gave that to Carol to give to me to place in a setting. And they were set in there very nicely, and I liked it. I said, one diamond is Carol, one diamond is, is me, and in the center is going to be Jesus Christ. So it had a nice little symbolic and yada yada. The problem is, is that I, I would clap, and whoever set those, those diamonds popped out like popcorn. And, I, I don't know, and so now i got three little, like, missing teeth on this. So Carol says, that looks ugly, and we can't afford more diamonds, so get another ring. So I got another ring, and she gets this nice little ring, and it's you know, not quite as expensive, of course, and we put it on, and we have a little ceremony, the two of us, you know, and it was a great time. And I'm telling you, I, I, I had an old 49 Ford driving down the road, and I'm just slapping the side of that car, and I'm singing away, and I lift up, and I realize it broke in half, and I have half, and now Carol says, is this an omen, Stan, is this an omen? And I said, no, it's not an omen, just cheap rings, that's all that it is. So now I have another ring, this ring. Now, I like wearing this ring because I can be anywhere that people understand the wearing of a wedding ring on the fourth finger of left hand that tells people, whether they know me or not, that this man is married. At least in some fashion, they could look at it, I'm married. All right? Now, does wearing a wedding ring make me married, though? Yes or no? 
No, it doesn't make me married. What made me married is because I entered into a covenant relationship, forsaking all others for her alone, sickness and in health and all of that, till death do we part. I, I promise to be with you forever and ever. All right? So I can still be married to her with or without a ring. A ring just kind of identifies it to the person. Now, let's say I took my ring off and I set it down, and one of you guys says, wait, that's a cool ring. I'm going to put that on. Hey, it fits me just good. Does that mean that guy's married to Carol? <laughs> no, it doesn't make you, okay? So I don't care how many times you jump in the water, it does not make you a Christian, all right? If you don't get baptized, you still have eternal life because being baptized is not a part of that which will save you. Just like the ring doesn't make me married. It's symbolic of that. So that's the illustration. That's the symbol. The second one goes back to the baptism part again. So what about baptism? Now I'm bringing it closer to home because as the Jews would look at circumcision, if I do this, then I become one of his children and therefore he becomes my father and I have eternal life and all of that. It kind of really opens up to that baptism. There are many people today, many religions today, particularly the Church of Christ, that will believe in what the term is called baptismal regeneration. That in the course of being baptized, that is tied to your salvation. There are many people today that would even assume, very ignorantly because they're so far away, but they look back into the Baptist church and they know that Baptist comes from the word baptism and baptism and they're talking about God and Jesus so that must mean baptism is a big thing of their doctrine and you've got to be baptized to go to heaven. Now I'm sure there are some Baptists that believe that. There may be some Baptist pastors that believe that. But true scripture says no, that, that baptism doesn't save you. It's what we'll call spirit baptism. You're baptized in the body of Christ once for all the moment you trust Christ. Water baptism cannot save you. Spirit baptism saves and seals you, locks you into that deal, all right? So baptism doesn't do it. So now we talk a little bit about infant baptism. There are some that will teach, well, infant baptism is very much like the Jewish um, circumcision. And they'll use this as their illustration. Not all of them. This is just some, but so that you'll understand. Some will say, well, just like the Jewish boys would see this done to them, they would always remember that they are now to pursue their belief system about Jehovah God, etc. And so this puts them in the right direction to follow their father Abraham into God, etc. So when an infant is baptized, it doesn't do anything for salvation for that infant, they'll teach, but it will help them, point them in the direction, perhaps, of understanding they were baptized. Here are pictures. There's your baptismal ground. Your mom and dad are going to promise to keep bringing you the message. So that kind of baptism will seal the deal only in the sense that you are now pointed in the right direction for being saved. I'm sure there's still some that do believe in infant baptism and all of that. Now, the challenge that I have with that as well as, I'll go out on a limb with this, a parent-child dedication that we have here. We try to make it extremely clear that when we do a parent-child dedication that by the parents bringing their child before us, that that child is at a point in their life like an eight-day-year-old male Jewish boy, so to speak, he can't make that decision. That baby can't make that decision. That baby can't make the decision to trust Christ. That baby can't make the decision to do a salvation, I mean a baptism after they're saved for identification. That baby can't do really anything. We can show them pictures of what happened. All we're really doing is where the parents are saying, I'm taking my child. I'm now dedicating him back to the Lord. In a sense, God gave us the child. I'm now going to rear this child in a committed way in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So if anything, I'm going to provide, watch this now, an environment the best I can to the glory of God that will nurture or bring about a healthy environment so that he will then perhaps spiritually come to faith in Christ at a young age and then go on to become a fully obedient worshiper of the Lord. So 
If we explain that properly, then that's okay. If you're going to do infant baptism, again, if you explain that, that's probably okay if you go through all those motions to do that. But when you attach something that's mystical or more supernatural to it than that, then we might have a challenge with it. Now, one of the reasons we don't baptize infants here is because we do not see um, an illustration of infants being baptized in the New Testament anywhere. We do see adults coming to faith and being baptized, all right? Now, when I say adults, let me just say non-infants, because I don't say that children can't um, be baptized as long as a child knows, watch this now, knows enough that he's a sinner, and he knows enough that Jesus is the Lord who died and rose again, and knows enough that he needs to trust in Christ, however age that is, that child should be brought the gospel, and prayerfully, that child on his own will make his decision to trust Christ. That's why we invest heavily in child evangelism fellowship. We do a lot with children. All right, now, if a child has that capacity to do that, then the educational process can begin very soon to explain to them the true meaning of biblical baptism. So what age can a child be baptized at? At an age where that child understands the entire concept of baptism, what he's doing, that's a once-in-a-lifetime deal, it's an outward sign of an inward act, etc., etc., then that child may be baptized. Now, when we're doing this, it's not, hey, my brother got dunked in the tank. I need to go in the tank. I don't want to be left out. That has nothing to do with biblical baptism. That's just following the brother in the water. It's not, I'm doing this as a sign unto, unto Jesus. Now, are you, are you still traveling with me? Are you okay? Let me give you a couple more thoughts right here. You ought to do a study on circumcision in Scripture and see how many times that the Lord, through the prophets, lambasted Israel to the point that said that you're not even of Israel because you have not been circumcised of the heart. Did you catch what I'm saying? So circumcision was something that, although physically was done, it pointed you in the direction that true circumcision is something that, watch this, done in the heart. That's why Jewish people can come to faith in the Lord. That's why Gentiles can come to faith in the Lord because the circumcision is not necessarily the outward performance on a man's organ, but it's on a heart of turning unto the Lord. And so that's a heart thing. Read it for yourself in such places as Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 through 26, 28. And then you can read it again. Those of you that were here will remember, we taught heavily on that in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 as well. So you can find scripture in, in Romans as well that will speak to that. So those being the case, let me end with these two little points and then our application and we'll be done. So uh, who can call Abraham father? The answer is simply this. Anyone who's trusted Christ as Savior. So when Danette led the kids in singing, Father Abraham, uh, that, we're his, that he's our father, we can do that. Go back, if you will, now to verse 12. It says, And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but also those who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. So, again, who can do all of this? Those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised can do this. I want to read a, ver, uh, a quote here coming from William Barclay. It is very rich. It's not a long one, but I want you to lean into this. Barclay summarizes this matter of Abraham being the father of those who have a circumcised heart who believed in the Lord. And he says this, Paul has laid down the great principle that the way to God is not through membership of any nation, not through any ordinance which, mark, which makes a mark upon a man's body, but by the faith which takes God at his word and makes everything dependent on man's, not on man's achievement, but makes everything dependent, not on man's achievement, but solely upon God's grace. And that's what Paul has been teaching through Romans. 
That's what the New Testament teaches. And we've now learned that is exactly what the Old Testament teaches for salvation, even using the hero of the Jews, Abraham, to say that he became a believer even before he was circumcised. What are the three implications for today? Number one, salvation is by faith alone, wholly apart from any human ceremony of any kind, whether it's baptism or communion. It's interesting. I was thinking about this. See if you can track with this. You had Passover. Passover, you, you, did, you did Passover, but it was kind of like a solidarity with all the others that did the Passover. And it was somewhat symbolic of blood because of the lamb that was shed, etc. So symbolic. But circumcision was done one at a time. Both of those had symbolism over deliverance, that the Lord Jehovah was the deliverer, the true understanding of that. Now let's bring it over here to the New Testament. We don't do Passover today, and we don't do um, uh, circumcision. I mean, we may do it surgically for health reasons, etc., historical reasons, etc., maybe, but not for any spiritual dynamic that's tied to the Old Testament either. But what we do do are these two things. You have what is known as communion. Communion is most often done in the body of other believers. And communion is representing our mind remembering the Lord's death, blood, until He comes back again. And when we're baptized, we may have other people baptized with us, but sometimes we're just we're, we're only baptized by ourselves. We're, we go into the water, under the water, and come out again. And what does that represent? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So they're very similar, but neither one of them bring about salvation. These are outward signs of things that we're doing already in our heart to the Lord. All right, so it's by faith alone not by good works. Number two, baptism and communion has great value in the church and should be highly honored, but not as a means of salvation. Nobody will talk more about baptism probably than me and the need for it if it's done biblically and correct. I wish we had a baptistry here. I think it would be a lot easier. We'd probably baptize a lot more, and for sure more of you would see the baptism going on if we had one here. On the other hand, we have the largest God-made baptism in the world, the Pacific Ocean, and it's very beautiful, and I appreciate that. So there's two extremes to go. One is to put so much emphasis on baptism that people think you have to be baptized to be saved. The other is to treat it so lightly that ah, that's an afterthought. We kind of do it. If we don't, that's all right. It's, it's okay. God knows. We'll do it when we can. That's not it at all. There's significance behind baptism. You could almost say that for communion. And then finally, number three is this. <clears throat> and I think it kind of sets everything that we've been talking about today. And that is that salvation in Christ is available to all people. I'm going to build on that next week and the following week, and then we're going to get into all a bunch of Christmas messages. But for this week and next week and the following week, salvation in Christ is available to all people everywhere without regard to age. We had an 87-year-old woman come to faith in Christ sitting over here one Sunday morning, and we baptized her, carried her to the water, carried her into the water, and brought her out. Been faithful ever, ever since. Doesn't matter your ethnic background. We baptized all ethnic groups here. Whatever your cultural heritage is, Language or national origin, it's available to anyone. Well, folks, look up here. What do you think of your pen now? What do you think of your salvation now? What do you think about what Jesus Christ did for us by faith alone? If that doesn't bring from deep within our heart, soul, and spirit an expression of worship, then what are we worshiping the Lord? Are we worshiping Him because He's like a genie in a bottle and He fixed us here and He healed us there and He gave us a little bit of money there and He loves me so much over here and it's an emotional thing? 
or is it built upon the solid rock of theology of who he did and all he did for us and how it goes all the way back, Genesis to Revelation? Cannot you now worship him, watch this now, in spirit and in truth? That's biblical study. That's biblical worship. That's what will sustain you through all the challenges of life. I hope you trust Christ as your Savior. He's the only way. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to know that God loves you very much. Whatever you've gone through in your life, there is no sin that is too bad that Jesus has not already paid for on the cross. His death satisfied all of that. I believe that the Spirit of God is already working within you, bringing you to a point of decision to trust Christ. Something is happening within you, and I pray that you'll accept the payment Christ made for you on the cross by placing your faith alone in Christ. There is no ritual that we do that will give us eternal life. It is purely and solely by free grace. Do not compromise that truth on the altar of styles of music, where a church might be located, what you think of different people in the church, what kind of programs they have for you. You stand strong in the teaching of God's word on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Perhaps is the day that you want to engage that little tiny bit of faith that you have that God so preciously permitted you to have right now and you're going to place it in Christ. You don't come to Him promising Him that you'll start this or stop that. You come just as you are. And say, Lord, I know I've done things wrong and I know I still will. My nature is still in me. But I want to thank you for dying on the cross and paying my sin debt for me. And so Lord, I want to thank you for giving to me the free gift, of free grace by faith alone. So Lord, thank you now that I have eternal life. And I thank you that grace can save me. Your grace is so, so full and free. Your grace can keep me. Thank you for that. Now if you're trusting Christ as your Savior... I'd like to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand in a moment. Raising your hand won't save you. Me praying for you, of course, won't. But if you've trusted Christ today in here, I'd like to just prayerfully welcome you into God's family. You're not joining the church or anything like that. You're just part of God's, we'll call it the community of the redeemed, of all the different ethnic groups who place their faith alone in Christ. I just want to tell the Lord how excited I am for you. Is there anyone in here today that in your own way trusted in Christ alone for the full forgiveness of your sin and like for me to just pray for you now and welcome you into God's family? Would you slip up your hand? Anyone at all? Okay. All right. Christians, let's remember that this is the message we desperately need to take to our community this season. We have a trolley going on next week with all the laughter and the joy of all of that. It's really designed to build relationships. So bring your family and friends to that. Get those tickets. Help them come around other Christians and see that we're authentic, real people 
And perhaps that'll be the opening to the gospel. On our night of delight, what a wonderful evening of music sung by a tremendous musician, well-known artist here on the island that does a lot in the Christian community to reach others, especially our young people at Midpack Institute. Use this as an opportunity in a way that will not bring embarrassment to the Lord nor to you to invite them to come out, pay their way, buy their ticket for them. That's like giving money to the Lord. He'll give that back to you somehow. I, I don't know how, but just use that money. Be a part of this. Get your tickets. Invite your fellow workers, neighbors on each side. And then Christmas Eve. Oh, what a glorious time of music and candles. It's a short service. Special evening of Christmas Eve focused on the birth of our Savior. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for these dear sweet people in our church who are concerned about learning the Word of God accurately and deeply and soundly because they want to know you accurately, deeply and soundly. They want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I thank you for what you've done. And as we drive home in the midst of all the clutter of activities, let us never forget what you've done for us on the cross. And allow that not only be not only the source of our salvation, but a reason for us to celebrate. So, Lord, thank you for that. Now, Father, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.